Welcome back, everyone, to episode 36 of Life and Lit. This week, we are recording together for the first time ever, and we are super excited to have another spooky season thriller for you. So this week, we picked a debut novel, A Flicker in the Dark, by author Stacy Willingham. I'm Sydney. And I'm Paige. And this is Life and Lit. On the name. I was thinking about the deer, so I wasn't going to laugh. So, for all those listening at home, we are recording together for the first time because we, I am out visiting Paige for the long three-day weekend, and we took her truck up to Shenandoah National Park and hiked, and then we rented a little cabin in West Virginia and camped out for a few days. And we had an amazing time. Super great. Today was the last day. And when we left right first thing in the morning, we hit a deer with Paige's truck. Yes. You say we. I was driving. Yeah. I definitely. I hit that poor deer. And she had never hit a deer before. It was my first one. It was my first anything other than, you know, bugs. Um, And it it was traumatizing. I will never get up. Just mental she picture was all day. Very. I was on the verge of tears for yeah, at least she an was hour really after. Upset. Still upset. And so. Still may cry in the shower like, <laughs> over this. So. So when we sit down to record and we just start laughing because we're like together and I don't know. Can't control. I said just picture the deer. Just right. think about the deer. So, so I'm right back there in that mindset. Yeah. Which is I'm, the perfect mindset. <laughs> Mostly just impressed that you had never hit a deer or any kind of critter being a Midwest gal because... It was slow motion. It just walked into my There there was no avoiding it. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, it just, yeah. My pro tip to listeners, if you're going to hit a deer, don't slam on the brakes right before you hit it because it'll roll up the hood of your car into your windshield so you kind of embrace the impact <laughs> which thankfully we were in her truck and so the truck took it like a champ not even there was yeah. one little buff not even yeah it's like dirt that's got to come out yeah and so was, i'm not forever reminded of this day nothing that's what i was concerned i'm like we are gonna wreck this vehicle in bfe west virginia with yes. no cell phone service anywhere but yes. we didn't we just kept on trucking so and we still had literally. a literally, literally, <laughs> and we still had a great weekend despite yes. the snafu. Yeah, that was the the major downer of the weekend. But we picked ourselves back up and did another gorgeous hike today. And then we quickly looked at each other and we're like, we really need to record this episode tonight. So we're recording together. Literally in the same room for the first time. It's kind of weird. It's super weird. Maybe I'll make you go to a different room. <laughs> I know. We were like, well, we had to test it out, too, because, like, we don't know. We've only ever recorded virtually, so we're like, we did a little test to make sure it sounded okay, and yeah. then I was like, well, worst comes to worst, I guess I can sit with my headphones in a separate room, <laughs> right? but... Yeah, but I think it's going to be fun, because this book has 
a lot to discuss, a lot to talk about, some fun yes. theories that we each had, and some fun kind of nitpicks that we had where we were like, yes. what? Like, what were you thinking here? So, I'm really excited to get into this. I really enjoyed this novel, A Flicker in the Dark. I thought it was a really good debut, especially for a thriller. It I was. I feel like the thriller genre is hard to crack, so you have to kind of come in hot. Yes, and I think thrillers can go really wrong. Like, I'm reading one for my book club, which I picked. So I feel so bad that I picked this book. I had such high hopes for it, and it was terrible. And I should have just gone with Flicker. Yeah. Because I knew that we were reading that for the pod anyways. But I was trying to branch out and like, oh, I can read another book, so I'll pick something different. But no, Stacey Willingham did a really good job with this novel. I kept both of us guessing Throughout the whole thing, I, we were, like, live texting theories, but yes. my original theory was right. I just want to say that yes. up top. So, I was super... This time, it was a reverse. I finished the book first, and I had to field all of Sydney's yes. texts. She would text me a bunch of theories, but no spoilers. Yes. So, I could not confirm nor deny, which is very similar to The It Girl by Ruth Ware that we did a yes. couple months ago, where Sydney finished first, and I was doing a live kind of play-by-play. That's what I love about thrillers, though, because they, I feel like we say all the time, a quick afternoon read, but they really are because you get so invested and you want to know the end. Like, I didn't want to spoil it for myself, but I wanted to just keep turning the page to find out what was going to happen, so I really liked that. She did a good job with keeping the suspense up. Yes. I read this on a rainy afternoon when... Hurricane Ian, all the rain that was sent up here to the D.C. area was going through, and so I was forced to stay inside. So what better time to read a thriller than that? Exactly. So before we do the deep dive, we will give the summary of A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey Willingham. When Chloe Davis was 12, six teenage girls went missing in her small Louisiana town. By the end of the summer, her own father had confessed to the crimes and was put away for life, leaving Chloe and the rest of her family to grapple with the truth and try to move forward while dealing with the aftermath. Now, 20 years later, Chloe is a psychologist in Baton Rouge and getting ready for her wedding. While she finally has a fragile grasp on the happiness she's worked so hard to achieve, she sometimes feels as out of control of her own life as the troubled teens who are her patients. So, when a local teenage girl goes missing, and then another... That terrifying summer comes crashing back. Is she paranoid, seeing parallels from her past that aren't actually there? Or, for the second time in her life, is Chloe about to unmask a killer? That's a perfect summary. It was the book summary. The official (laughs) summary. Yes. We both actually, like... Well, not both, because you have the hard copy book. But I feel like we're always scrambling of, like, oh, who has the physical book in this for the episode, like for the staging purposes yes. and reading the summaries and usually we're Googling it or looking at <laughs> Right, it very last minute. So we were prepared. But this is your official spoiler alert. If you want to, you know, press pause, go read this book for yourself. Feel free to do so and come back to hear our hot takes. But if not, if you know this isn't really your sort of read, but you want to know what happens, Keep listening, and we will fill you in on all the exciting details. Yes. And I'm just going to say this from the top. I liked this one, and this is going to sound bad, but this is spooky season, but I liked this one for the serial killer, like, vibe. Vibe. 
Yeah. Most thrillers, most uh, horror books that I've read are, this also sounds bad, but straight up murders. Um, And you're trying to like solve the murder or just a specific murder. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was interesting, like having the serial killer like aspect to it. Yes, I agree. And having the focus be on the family of a convicted yes. serial killer. Like I loved that aspect and I love true crime. I listen to true crime podcasts all the time. So it was really cool to see or to imagine kind of how the people and their families would yeah. feel. Cause it's not, I mean, obviously the victims and their families are severely impacted, but you also have like the killer's family yes. are kind of collateral damage and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it was super interesting to have that be the setting for this. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of Prodigal Son, which was a show. It was a really good show about the family of a serial killer that was on TV. I think it only had two seasons, mm-hmm. but it was really good. And I'll have it, to check that out. Yeah. Shout out to Emmy for that wreck. And Mindhunter, which is on Netflix and which I recommend to everybody who loves crime and getting into the, like, the psychosis of serial killers. I'll definitely have to check that out, but it also, like, freaks me out. Mindhunter is freaky. I mean, yeah. don't watch it late at night alone. Okay. Good or call. if you do, just, like, make <laughs> sure all your doors are locked before. Yeah, just be prepared and, to, like, freak out. Yeah, it's definitely more, like, the psychology behind it, which sort of this kind of goes into that, but, yeah. Before we kick it off, let's give a shout-out to the bibliophile. Oh, yeah. we're going to use some of her summary. We both read this. I literally we finished, finished it. it a week ago, but yeah. I'm already midway through another thriller. Yeah. And I don't want to get it mixed up. Well, and I just have the attention span of a fly. The older <laughs> I get, the worse my memory is. And so same, I'm already, like, I'm reading my book club book. And even though I love, like, yeah, it's been a few, it's been a few days. And I can't remember anything yeah. from three days ago. I so. don't, well, I don't want to miss anything important. And, like, the, like, series of events. Like, yes. how they happen. I don't want to, like, miss. Yes. And so that's why we love... <laughs> Whenever we find the books we're going to do on the bibliophile, because she does a super... I'm assuming it's a she. I honestly don't even know. It is. Okay. She does a really awesome recap of books. Like, thebibliophile.com, it's a blog, and she'll do deep dives on books. She'll do, like, short summaries, and then she'll do breakdowns, kind of like what we go through. Yeah. And so it's super helpful for us to reference so be sure to look that up if you want to read some other book reviews yeah do you think it's now i'm gonna get on this tangent it could be like a group of people yeah I have no otherwise idea. i literally just found it once when we were doing a book that i think we had both read like a long time ago so i was like oh, yeah i need to refresh this and i found her website and now i've started checking it for every book that we do because she does such a good job of like yes. Plot the reminders. down is so helpful. Yes. So, thank you, Bibliophile. Yes. Watch Sebastian's down. Okay. We have a ghost host <laughs> this week. <laughs> a silent partner. A silent, yes. Sometimes silent. A silent host, my cat Sebastian. He was sad that we were gone all weekend, so he's hanging out with us while we record. And, and he may be disruptive. He's looking at my bun every yeah. time I oh, move. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's... 
Stay tuned for possible Sebastian shenanigans. Yes. But diving into the book, like we said, Chloe is a psychiatrist, which is no coincidence after what she went through as a child. And we meet Chloe as she's meeting with a 15-year-old patient, Lacey Deckler, and talking about, you know, Lacey's concerns, Lacey's, you know, troubles in life, and how she turned to self-harm when her father left. So, Chloe understands she was there, you know, a little bit younger, um, but her brother Cooper was 15 when their father left for a very different reason. And so, this is like the opening scene is their first meeting with Lacey. It's the first time she's had a session with her, and so it kind of starts to dredge up all of these memories for Chloe. Like she can empathize with Lacey, which is great to connect as a patient, uh, to connect with her in that way. But it also kind of like brings up all of these feelings and the 20 year anniversary of her father's crimes and sentencing is like looming on the horizon. It's coming up on summer and that's when all of this happened um, in Chloe's family. And so whenever she's getting ready to leave the office, Lacey's her last patient and she's getting ready to head out and she gets a call from a guy named Aaron Jansen and he says he's a reporter with the New York Times and so she's instantly like wary and he says that he is writing a story about her father in prison um, in honor of the 20th anniversary of the crimes and he's just wanting to talk to her and kind of get her side of the story. But Chloe immediately turns him down. She's really put off by this. She has tried talking to the media before and always feels like they spin it negatively on her. Yes. And so she's really, like, wary of going down that road again, and she doesn't even want to open the can of worms. She hasn't spoken to her father or seen him the entire time that he's been in prison. So she's like, I I can't comment on him as a person like I don't even know him anymore um and so she just heads home from after that call like she kind of hangs up abruptly and then heads home um and is like kind of thinking about her past yeah and on her way home she picks up a prescription for Xanax for somebody named Daniel Briggs and obviously Chloe is not Daniel Briggs Which I understand, this was like... A red flag. Red flag number one, but also didn't make sense as somebody in the medical world. It is so hard to get something when you do not have the ID and you are clearly not that person. I don't understand how she was so easily able to get this prescription for somebody. Well, I feel like part of that could be... I mean, they go in detail about like as long as you have... The ID, or not even an the ID, birthday. but the birthday, which I feel like is true because I for sure picked up a prescription for my mom before and I gave them the birthday and her address and I got it, which it was I, for like something not, not like a narcotic or anything right. crazy, but still, I don't know. It's, I was like, okay, <laughs> but then I'm also like, doctors are allowed to have mental health concerns and prescriptions too Mm -hmm. so like why not just write a prescription for yourself i think it or get your friend to write your doctor friend another doctor friend to write you a prescription for yourself actually you can only write a prescription for yourself because you then 
the yeah. doctor friend who would write it for you would be held liable. Okay. So it's actually better to write so it. So then for why yourself. not just write it for yourself and pick it up on the up and up versus writing it for start... another person and then I think she I think she's doing like double dipping. I think she's using Daniel oh. Briggs and herself because That's as true. we discussed <clears throat> in her session with Lacey who turned to self harm, Chloe Sir turned to self medication. Mm-hmm. And so she has this drawer full of all different types of medications in her office that if you know she becomes anxious things become too much she dips into that and so she picks up the Xanax and heads home and we find out there that Daniel Briggs is actually the name of her fiance because when she gets home she goes into her seemingly dark and empty house And as she opens the door, she's bombarded with a loud shout of surprise. The lights are turned on and there's a surprise engagement party for her and Daniel, which... That Daniel organized. Yes. She had no idea. She actually, it scared the daylights out of her. She was like going for her mace and her purse. Which I would also like never throw me a surprise party ever, especially with that sort of past. Yeah, for her, like, I, I don't know. Surprise parties are fine if it, you're someone that's okay with them. But it's, like, well known that she hates surprises and she hates being caught off guard. Yes. And so it's kind of, like, a red flag that her fiancé would do that. Doesn't really know her feel, very yeah. well. Yeah. So she met Daniel, who is a pharmaceutical sales rep at like the Baton Rouge General Hospital when Chloe was leaving to start her own practice. So she like had a box full of stuff and dropped something and Daniel picked it up, helped. It was this little meat cute Mm -hmm. and it was a book that they bonded over and I think it was Midnight in the Garden Garden of of Good Good and Evil. Yeah. And he said something like, have a thing for murder or something. And they were like, that was like his line. Yeah. There was like a bunch of books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All her books had something to do with serial killers, murder, something like that. True crime. And so he slips his card into the book and she rediscovers it. A couple weeks later, calls him for a drink, and a year later, now they are engaged. Which, yes. which we wow. know your thoughts on that. And a whole year, that's, whew, that's a lot. Yeah. That's not enough. That's, whew, I don't know. Which, your thoughts are kind of similar to Chloe's brother, Cooper, because he's also at the party, and he can tell right away that Chloe is, like, put off by all of this. She does not like the surprise. And for him, that's just another red flag or tick mark against Daniel, because Cooper does not like Daniel. There's just something about him that he doesn't trust. He also thinks they're moving way too fast, and he's Mm -hmm. like, you don't even know this guy. What, Which, if, what if he's, I don't know, he's kind of he's, always thinking the worst. But he's trying to look out for Chloe. Yeah, right? that's like, I can see that as protective big brother, as somebody who has an older brother. I can see that. And, you know, Cooper and Chloe, they not only have that sibling bond, they kind of have that trauma bond. Mm-hmm. Because they looked out for each other growing up, especially after her father went to jail because their mother just kind of, she went into a depression. Yeah, she and... went into a pr- depression. She no longer took care of them. Yeah, she and so they took care of each other. So and she Cooper... tried to kill herself. Yeah, at one point, 
and it all became too much for her and they actually found her like she attempted to hang herself but wasn't successful um like the beam broke or something but she was unresponsive so they had to call the you know EMTs in and she was never the same she's now nonverbal she lives in a home where they take mm-hmm. care of her so it's really Cooper and Chloe and... And just trauma on top of trauma. Yeah. Like, just, they have that bond. And, you know, they may not see each other that much, but they're always going to be there for each other. Yeah. And so Cooper is just trying to be like, listen, this is just what I see as a person who knows you the best in the world. This is what I think. Which, yeah, like that makes sense. Yeah. Like if you have that person and you think they're making a mistake... You would absolutely, or I would absolutely be like, listen. You need to speak up. I don't know if this is for you. Yeah. Um, And Chloe gets really upset. Like, they kind of have this side conversation out at the party where he's kind of just telling her again, like, I just don't think things are right and you need to reconsider. Yeah. And she gets really defensive and upset about it. But then by the end of the conversation, she kind of circles back and is like, I'm sorry. I know you're just looking out for me. And but you Daniel joins them, yeah. and it's this whole thing where they don't want to talk about what they were talking about in front of Daniel, but then Daniel kind of gets a little protective and territorial, so it was just very much like two alpha males yes. fighting it's over like Chloe. like a pissing match. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then Cooper volunteers to go, but like to leave the party to make things more comfortable. Mm-hmm. But it's also... Noted at this point that Cooper um, is single and he's pretty much alone. Like, he has friends, nobody he's super close to, mm-hmm. no serious relationship history, and he's older than Chloe at this point. And, hmm. And I think... No, I was just like, oh, is this... Who does this is... sound like? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, mm. Anywho... And that's why, and Chloe's the one trying to say, I'm going to give love a chance. Yeah, anyway. So, So they kind of go about the party. Um, One of, I just, that's important about Cooper. (laughs) About him being a loner. His characteristic. Yeah, for sure. That comes up again. Um, So, they kind of go about the party. Chloe drinks a crap ton. Everybody's just giving her drinks, living the best life. She had... You know, right after she took the Xanax that she took in her car. And then she's just downing bottle like drinks of wine and bottles of wine. And so the next morning she wakes up really hungover. Which, this is just a complete <laughs> stylistic thing. But it, I had to like, I don't know, research it. This is when it jumps. So we're in the party. And oh. it's May. <laughs> and so like this the party. really got you. <laughs> The party ends, and you turn the page, and it says June 2019, because this is set in 2019. And I'm like, okay, we're jumping ahead in time. Yeah. But then she wakes up, and it's the literal next day. And I was like, wait, how did we jump ahead? So it bothered me so much that I literally Googled <laughs> May 2019 calendar. Oh, my god! <laughs> to pull it up, because I knew that it, it was a, based on, like, how she was typed. You know, it's during like, her session, it was a Friday. So I'm like, okay, it had to be a Friday. 
it never said it was the end of the month, but May 31st, 2019 was on a Friday. So I was like, yes. okay, I guess that's fine. But <laughs> watch out, Stacey Willingham. Sydney is here for the continuity. She is doing that. Well, too. it was just, <laughs> I just feel like stylistically, normally when you have a break of like yes. the next month. Yes. You're it's jumping like, ahead a little bit. And then yeah. it really confused me for those first few pages where I'm like, wait, they're referencing the party that she was just at. <laughs> I thought it would even be a couple weeks. But anyways, I yes. just thought that was funny. And that's how my brain works. That's how like nitpicky my brain is. Yes, she's here for the details. <laughs> yeah. So Chloe wakes up. She's super hungover. And Daniel, meanwhile, is getting ready to leave on a work trip. He travels a lot for his job, like going to visit the hospitals and going to different yes. conferences and all of that. On a weekend is Red a flag. little suspicious. Yeah. But she thinks nothing. Not like, totally out of the normal, but a little suspicious because it just the way she talks about it makes it seem like this happens a lot on the weekend. Yeah. But he always explains it of like, well, the conference starts on Monday, but they're doing mixers tonight and like Lies. a golf thing. No. Also, I am I just like that not like, I don't know. Do I not trust people enough that I would Google this conference to be like, where's the schedule? Yeah, that's kind of a red flag. Because this, <laughs> I don't know, as a person in the medical world, I'm like, no, the mixers are in the evening after the conference. Not two days before the conference starts. See, I never that really thought... That is like a personal decision. I never really thought anything of this because with my job, I have a lot of weekend conferences. Yeah, uh, no. That I, I attend for they work. Would, like, there are four other people, but I'm there working, yeah, like, but, helping uh, no, with no. them. Yeah, I just know there are weekend conferences. It's just not like, well, there's a party Saturday, but it starts on Monday. Yeah. No. That's not how it is here. And so... I think it's like, so funny that you would straight up Google something. Well, I would be like, you cheating on me? <coughs> like, you know? Yeah. After the first several... Because she's also in the medical world. Girl should know. That's fair. Girl should know. Anyway, Daniel jets off to New Orleans, allegedly, um, <laughs> for a work conference. <laughs> And Chloe takes care of some wedding planning because they're getting married in two months. And it's to be held at a place called Cypress Stables, which is like, I think just, I just pictured the grand southern. I picture like plantation. Plantation style. Yes. Yes. And she's kind of remembering when they went to pick out the place and the granddaughter of the property owner. I don't know. Maybe you heard that. I'm sure that will be coming through. Sebastian just moved the phone with his face. He was rubbing up on the phone right at the speaker. So so. neglected. Yeah. Um, But when they're they're at the property, they ran into Aubrey Gravino, who is a 15 year old girl. She's like the granddaughter of. Yeah. I think we revealed that too early. A little bit. But it's okay. So. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> Chloe, like, flashes back to when she went and visited. They booked this place. And they're talking to the owner, whatever. And this girl's sitting on the porch. And she's like, oh, that's my granddaughter. She comes out to help sometimes. So it's like, whatever. You don't think anything of it until Chloe's now watching the news. And she sees that there is a missing girl in her area, in the Baton Rouge area. And she flashes. The picture comes up, of course. And this is, like obviously a sore spot for Chloe because it Mm -hmm. just immediately like every missing girl reminds her of 
that summer when it happened in her hometown and it turned out to be her dad. And so she's already on edge. Also, she's thinking about it more than ever because it's almost the 20th anniversary of all that happening. But she sees this picture and she's like, that girl looks like familiar, but I don't know why. Because she obviously doesn't know a lot of 15 year olds. Right. So she doesn't, you know. It's just kind of that, like, twinge of recognition. Yeah. But Um, Aubrey's last known location was Cypress Cemetery. So, like, somebody trying to look super sketchy, Chloe immediately gets in the car and drives to Cypress Cemetery. She's driving to clear her head, but accidentally. Yes. Air quotes. And with a lot of sarcasm. Ends up at Cypress Cemetery. And she, like, there's search parties out. So there are townspeople out. But this just, like, instant red flag for me because there are so many serial killers that will, like, join search parties for their victims. They go back. I know. So I was just like, yes. What are you doing? And she should know this. Anyway. And if you're troubled by this anyways, I feel like you'd want to get, like, I would want to get far away. I yes. wouldn't want to be around I that. And she instead chooses to, like, immerse herself yes. in this. Which, Chloe is the definition of an unreliable narrator, which is my favorite kind. I love them. You I don't, don't know what to expect. You don't know who to believe. And I love it. I don't like them. It stresses me out. And it just makes it so much more interesting because you're like, can you believe the person telling me this story? I know, but then it makes, see, the, my problem is that I'm like, they do so many crazy things that to me are not realistic. I'm like, no, no sane. People would to- she's not completely sane. I know, but then I'm just like, I don't know. It just, I don't know. It's just the actions that are so inexplicable yeah. just frustrate me because I want people to have like reasoning behind their actions yeah. and unreliable narrators do not. <laughs> they do not. And I just, I sit here going, oh girl, but I don't know. It yeah. just makes it so much more interesting. So Chloe, air quote, accidentally joins the search party for Aubrey when she's near this old woman who finds um, a diamond and pearl earring, which matches the earring that Aubrey was seen wearing on like her missing poster picture and chloe sees it and she picks it up and i'm chloe of all yeah so the police officer immediately runs up and you know kind of yells at her for it and she hands over the earring and she like runs away yeah which is also super suspicious so the girl is just kind of like framing herself at this point yes and while this is happening. This book isn't really, I wouldn't classify it as dual format, but there's a lot of flashback scenes interwoven. Like, yeah, but put in, <clears throat> kind of written in the way of like Chloe is thinking about this flashback scene. Yes. Yeah. But the, it, makes, it makes the timeline kind of jump around. Yes. And so it kind of flips back and forth for like her in the present day, but then it the next chapter will be a memory that relates and ties in a little bit. And so when she sees this missing poster about Aubrey, it reminds her of the first girl that went missing in her hometown in her dad's case. And it was, that girl was Lena Rhodes and it was a friend of hers. And it kind of just jars up all of these memories again. And so she thinks that like, 
Chloe specifically thinks about Lena. She can that was one that she fixated on more than any other. Um, but she talks about how she knew her before she went missing and kind of yeah. what that connection was. And Cooper, her older brother, had been like the popular kid in school. He was a jock, he had a lot of friends, and people just were always gravitating towards him versus Chloe was the shy little sister. Mm-hmm. Didn't really want to talk to people. Um, but Lena was drawn to Cooper because of, I don't know, his charm. Yeah. And everybody was. Yeah. And Lena was kind of like the bad girl. She, you know, wore revealing clothing and. She was pretty. She was like out. the girl who's like body like blossomed before yeah. all the others. So she was like. Acting a girl in a woman's age. body, yeah. and she had all this confidence. Yeah, she was trying to be cool. She would drink. Yes. She would smoke. She was like she gave this carefree attitude when really at home her home life was pretty terrible. Yeah, so she was putting on a facade for the outside world. And so Chloe, as a younger kid, is like drawn to this cool and girl. She's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I want to hang out with her. I want to be like her. And Cooper tries to warn her, like, you don't want to be like her. She gets into trouble. She you know, does all these things that are not good. But meanwhile, Lena's kind of drawn to Cooper and, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, trying to get with him, I guess, or trying yeah. to flirt with him. That It definitely came off that way. And, you know, as maybe bad of an influence as she came off to be, I think Lena was actually really good to Chloe. Like, she oh, was really yeah. nice they were to her. Actually, like, they were friends, and yeah. Chloe, or Lena kind of took her under her wing, for lack of a better word, and yeah. she could have very easily just treated her as Cooper's annoying little sister and been mean to her and tried to get rid of her, but she didn't. She, you know, befriended her and would let her borrow makeup and all that kind of stuff. Um, Taught her all that stuff. But one of the most vivid memories Chloe has with Lena is when they were at the Crawfish Festival and she, like, you know, Lena was wearing, you know, like a belly shirt, very revealing, and... Chloe noticed her belly button charm. And she said, yeah, do you want to see it? It glows in the dark. And it was a firefly. So Chloe gets gets up close, looks at it glowing. And then when she glances up, she sees her father staring at them. And then Chloe also remembers finding that firefly charm hidden away in her father's closet four months later. And that was like the crux of how they caught her father was because she... She found that specific piece of jewelry in her father's closet. And so, like, how... I don't know. That was chilling and made me really Mm -hmm. sad for Chloe because I feel like that... I don't know. The guilt of that, of wanting to do the right thing, but also feeling like you're, you know, turning your father in or whatever. I don't know. I feel like that would be so hard on a young kid to grapple with. And obviously it was. It was traumatizing then. It is still affecting her now. Yeah. but that took a lot of courage for her to speak up and turn her dad in. Absolutely. So Chloe's shaken up by everything happening with Aubrey's disappearance and, you know, the finding of the earring by the search party. So she goes back to her office where all her pills are, and then she sees she has some voicemails from Aaron, the reporter from the New York Times. And now she's kind of flashing back um, to everything that went down with her dad. And... She recalls during the trial, they were visited by his attorney, Theodore Gates, and how he negotiated a plea deal. And he said there's a lot of physical evidence and eyewitnesses 
seen her father talking to the girls prior to the deaths. And he said the death penalty is like a real possibility here. So we need to seriously consider this plea deal. But part of that plea deal was her dad had to show the authorities where the bodies were because the bodies were never found. And after that, that was when they knew that he was truly guilty. Like hearing that from him and hearing that her father said, I'll show you where the bodies are. And that also flashed back because Chloe had a memory of seeing him like coming out of the woods with a shovel. And so that's another like nail in the coffin, so to speak. And she was like a major eyewitness for all this. Yeah. She had to corroborate a lot of. You know, the eyewitness evidence. This is where I will say, like, my two theories. My original theory, which was correct and we will discuss later. But my second theory was, it was almost suspicious to me that Chloe was the, so much the crux of her dad's case. Of, like, she was the one that saw him coming out of the woods. She was the one that found the... Not earring, the belly button ring or whatever. Yeah. The linchpin of all of this that I started to think, okay, was she like framing her dad? (laughs) Was she involved and she's framing him? Because I also. I will say, I got vibes between Chloe and Lena of like Chloe being interested in Lena. Oh, really? I just thought I just kind of got that vibe. She just idolized her. Yeah. I Which I think that's how it was theory, portrayed. Like, I also, I went through a million theories, but the one yeah. that ended up happening was in there. Yeah. Because you start to catch on to things, which I love about this book. Well, and no one is trustworthy in this no book. No one, which and makes it's amazing. It, yes, that makes it a really fun read and an enjoyable um, spot, but yeah, there's no one trustworthy. Yeah, but... She talks about how they watched the trial, and this part was kind of chilling, but also very important, is mm-hmm. when they asked her dad why he killed those girls, he said, I have a darkness inside of me, a darkness that comes out at night. And he said, it's so strong, I couldn't fight it. I tried for a long time, a long, long time, but I couldn't fight it anymore. And then they were like, you're telling me that this darkness is what forced you to kill those girls. And he said, yes, it did. It's like a shadow, a giant shadow always hovering in the corner of the room, every room. I tried to stay out of it. I tried to stay in the light, but I couldn't do it anymore. It drew me in. It swallowed me whole. Sometimes I think it might be the devil himself. That was like chilling. Yeah. And it's very chilling. Picture like a serial killer in a courtroom saying that and it yeah. wants, like gives me chills with no emotion but yes. the thing is her dad showed emotion yes. because he cried when he said that but we'll get that we'll get to that later we'll get into that yes so chloe's like we said uh, all this is kind of dredging everything up and it's reminding her of like how her family was treated during the trial, especially after her dad says something like that. He's found guilty. It all blows up. And the townspeople were like blaming her and her family as well, because it comes out that her mom had been having several different affairs. Um, It turns out that he, she had been sleeping with 
Burt Rhodes, who was the father of Lena, one of the victims. So, like, that showed a motive. They thought that her dad did this because he was unfulfilled at home by his wife. Chloe had started, like, mimicking Lena and trying to dress like her. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, oh, look at the daughter. She's kind of going off the rails. And they thought that the dad was jealous of Cooper because of how, like, I don't even want to say successful, but just because of his aura in town. Yeah, how popular he was. How popular he was. And so they really, like, placed the blame on them as a family instead of on the true perp. Yeah. The dad who had done all this. And so that also really messed with Chloe. Um, People would come to their house to kind of, kind of like they were a freak show. Yeah, Yeah. They would come to their, their house, terrorize them. You know, in the streets, they made signs. They did all this stuff, terrible stuff to the family. Yeah. So, after all this, you know, after Chloe goes through all these memories, she then gets a news alert that Aubrey's body was found not far from where the search party was in the cemetery. And so this really affects her because I think she was trying to hold out hope, like everyone, that maybe she'd be found alive, but they found her dead um, so she just kind of lays low for the rest of the weekend. And, um, like, Chloe knows that she's struggling with all of this stuff. Like, the PTSD from everything that happened. And the way that um, her family was treated and how she was treated. Because it affected her and, like, the way she was able to form relationships as well. Yeah, like, you know, she like couldn't she date couldn't, normally. Yeah, Daniel's kind of, like the odd man out of her dating group, you know, she made sure the guys she dated, one, she wouldn't date them for too long, and one, they couldn't be too much of a loner, they couldn't be too popular, if she approached a guy, it couldn't be in too big of a group, but they also, you know, couldn't be alone, because, like, what if they did something to her, because she's very bullied and abused at school, you know, the kids would physically like attack her at school as well as emotionally so she didn't have a lot of friends she didn't have any sort of you know lasting healthy relationship with a partner until she met daniel was always kind of suspicious because she's like what if they're just dating me because i'm the serial killer's daughter like what what if they're an obsessive person and they're trying to get at me because of my past so she would try to feel people out of like if they knew who she was and who her dad was or if they didn't and when she should tell them and that was kind of one thing that helped bond her to daniel was that how like open he was when they talked to told him about the murder um he was, like, totally chill with it. He revealed that his sister Sophie had gone missing when they were younger, and so he can, like, empathize with her. Um, but, so, yeah, that really, like, drew them but together. Also, also, that was the red he was, I was, like, he was too calm. If I had been dating someone for a matter of months, and they were, like, by the way, my dad's in prison because he's a serial killer, and now all this stuff happened to me, I'd be, like, I'm gonna need some time yeah because that's a lot and i also it made me more suspicious that his sister had gone missing because i'm like is he some kind of weirdo that's drawn to me because of this yeah it was very strange did you know who she was i don't know so back like in the present day 
Chloe goes to work and her assistant is crying and she's like, have you seen the news? And Chloe's like, yeah, okay, they found Aubrey, it's sad, whatever. And she's like, no, the news today, there's another girl missing and it's Lacey, the patient that Chloe had just seen a week ago. And so this obviously shocks her as well because the story is that Lacey was supposed to go to a friend's house and then she just never came home and she was went missing on Friday the day that she had that appointment with Chloe. She was never seen after that appointment. Yeah, she was so supposed last... to leave the appointment and go to a friend's house and yes. she never showed up there. So, so the, the last person to see her alive was the receptionist, Melissa, and Chloe herself. So... Surprise, surprise, two officers show up, having very quickly figured out that she was the last person to see Lacey alive. And one of the officers happened to be the officer that she ran into at the cemetery when she found um, Aubrey's earring. And he kept looking at her, like, very intensely and eventually asked, like, have I seen you before? Like, you look very familiar. And Chloe lied. Yes. She was like, no, I don't think so. I'm like, honey, you're framing yourself. I'm also like, the cops don't ask you questions that they don't usually already know the answer yeah. to. Like, he knew that is an was actual up. tactic. Yes. <laughs> they are trying to set you up. They are trying to get you. They are not your friends. Right. Like, and don't think you can outsmart them. It just no. kills me. So... Yeah, they just ask her the basic questions about Lacey, and she's like, I don't know if she left. We never uh, we met know. once. Yeah. yeah, she doesn't have that much info. She can't really tell them anything because of doctor-patient confidentiality. Um, but afterwards, she drives to the assisted living facility where her mother is cared for. And they, you know, sadly don't see her very often. She or Cooper don't go very often, but she needs somebody to talk to. And so she goes to see her mom and tells her everything that's going on, which I think was a very cruel thing to do because yeah. her mother is nonverbal. They don't really know how there she is. Like, sometimes she seems very lucid. Other times she doesn't. And so Chloe basically goes to, like, spill her guts, get all talk about everything that's on her mind to somebody that cannot do anything about it, cannot talk back, and might comprehend what's happening, but now cannot do anything with this information. Well, and that was my thing, because I'm like, how is this going to make you feel better other than just the word vomit of getting it out? But I'm like, she can't give you advice. Like, yes, she would empathize with how you feel, but she can't really give you advice. She can't tell you what to do. And so I did think that was super weird. But well, I just thought it was mean to like put this on your mom who can't yeah do anything. And so now like you're basically giving your stress to somebody else because you knew like her if her mom was lucid that day that she would start to panic about this thinking yeah because she's also extremely traumatized by what happened. I don't know. I just thought that was sure. a very selfish <laughs> thing to do. It was super weird. And while she's there, one of the nurses comes in to like check on them, make sure everything's fine. And she mentions that her mom, Chloe's mom had another visitor that week. And Chloe's like, what are you talking about? I haven't been here. My brother hasn't been here. We're the only ones. And she's like, oh no, there was a man that came by. And so Chloe goes to check the guest book up front and it was Aaron Jansen, the reporter. So he came to visit her. And this really sets Chloe off like it would me because now this reporter is being nosy. Like she turned him down for an interview, but he goes, goes through the trouble and has the nerve to come visit her 
ailing mother in mm-hmm. a home. Like, that's a huge invasion of privacy. So she calls Aaron and is like, I can't believe you did this. If you want a story so bad, I will meet with you. But it ends here. Like, don't talk to my mom. That's crossing a line. And so they agree to meet that day. She meets him at a coffee shop, and he admits that he went to go visit her mom. Um, to because, get her attention. Yeah, he knew that that would start the conversation, which I'm like, that is so shitty. You're yeah. using the mother. <laughs> and so Aaron tells her that his angle on the story, because she's really suspicious, obviously, is shifted now because of these new missing girls. And that he thinks that this is the work of a copycat killer mm-hmm. and chloe's like no there's no connection but um but Aaron's it's worth, going down this road yeah it's worth noting that she googled aaron as you would anybody who's yes. like calling your family and she sees the profile picture of him on the new york times website and the person who walks in is she's like not who she expected dressed very similarly mm-hmm. to that headshot and has a badge But he's, like, a little more buff. Like, the guy in the picture was kind of a nerdy, small guy. And the the guy that walks in is, like, buff and a little bit taller. And I don't know. It just, the way, it was a little suspect because also the name tag. Yeah. I don't see anybody just wearing their New York Times badge around. And she even, like, kind of noted that it looked cheap and not what she expected. But she was so furious in this moment that she just kind of gives it to him. But, yeah, he brings up the idea of a copycat killer. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of leave this meeting. And Chloe's like, there's not really a connection. But now now the idea is kind of in her mind that maybe there is. And, um... So it's now been four days, like we jump ahead of time a little bit, and it's been four days since Lacey went missing. Um, She's talking to Daniel, her fiancé, and she doesn't want to tell him, like he's still been gone on this trip, and um, she doesn't want to tell him everything that's going on and kind of what's been going through her head, which also I think is a red flag, because like this is your fiancé. Right, you should should be able able to talk talk to him about about anything. Um, And so they just talk about some wedding stuff, and then... Chloe's now still fixating on this whole conversation with Aaron and gotten her um, invested and she's worried that like the killer is trying to make these connections with Chloe herself. Like it, it the, vi- yes. the next victim, the victim being Lacey hits too close to home. Yeah. Being so close. Um, and so she gets a call that Lacey's body was found in the alley behind her office, which like that is terrifying. Yeah, to know that, one, either the body was there the whole time and nobody noticed it, which, yeah. like, the tra- I think the trash people Yeah, it was, like, wet behind it. the trash can. But also, like, if you're checking that alleyway, which you know the detectives did multiple times, and you didn't find the body, and it was, you know, wet behind the dumpster. There. Yeah, then yeah. the knowledge that somebody moved it there with the intention of scaring Chloe is terrifying definitely and so he asks the detective asks chloe to come down and look at the body to see if she knows like notices anything which i that was different because she was the last person to see her i think this is valid i know no it wasn't she wasn't like asking for the id because he's like that's already been done so i get that but yeah he was 
like, okay, you were the last one to see her, so come tell us if there's anything wrong about the body. And Chloe at first doesn't think anything, but then she does notice that a bracelet is missing because Lacey had been, like, fiddling with the bracelet the whole time during their appointment. It was kind of big. It it was like a rosary bracelet, and it was worn trying to hide the scars of her self-harm, but she kept fidgeting with it the whole time. So it it sticks out in her mind, and... Chloe notices that it's missing from the body. And yeah. so that's another red flag slash another reminder. Yes, to, to her, her father. Dad. And she brings it up with the detective later on. She kind of points out that um, similarity and also asks if, you know, like in the picture where she recognized the earrings on Aubrey, there was a matching necklace. And she mm-hmm. asked the detective if when they found Aubrey's body, that necklace was on the body and they said no. So now she's realizing that this actually could be a copycat killer. And she also, the detective mentioned something about um, drugs being found in Lacey's system, which is also like a red flag to Chloe because she knew she wasn't on drugs at the time because Chloe had written her a prescription that day. Yeah. But obviously she never had time to get it filled. So that's kind of a red flag that she's been drugged. Um so this just kind of puts her mind back to when she brought the jewelry box to the sheriff in her father's case. That was the incriminating evidence that they really needed to arrest him and put him behind bars. And she was there with the support of her mother, which I can't imagine being in either of their shoes. Um, But it goes back to the whole scene where Chloe's there at the police station with the jewelry box, eventually hands it over to the sheriff because she's starting to doubt herself. She's like, oh, no, well, this actually isn't that important. I'm making things up. Like, my dad couldn't do this. And she finally hands it over. He looks in. It's what they need. And then he's like, you know, do you want to stay here? Until we can get a warrant for his arrest or would you like to go home? And the mom was like, I, we need to go home so he doesn't worry mm-hmm. and think anything is up. And that is terrifying. That is. Because she's like, he won't hurt us. He won't hurt us. And I was like, you have no guarantees. And when they get home, you know, like, Chloe's having a panic attack in yeah. the seat because she now knows that her father's a serial killer. And they have to go back into that house. And just act like everything is cool. And act like it's fine. Give that woman an Oscar. Give them both an Oscar. So they walk into the house and Chloe's mom is like, say you're not feeling well, that you need to go in your room. Mm -hmm. You just go in your room, shut and lock the door. I'll be out there until they come. And so they walk in and this part gave me some goosebumps. It was, oh, I was like very tense because I imagine watching it on TV, but... She walked in and she's like, I don't feel, because the dad was like sitting in the armchair and was like, Chloe, like, what's wrong? You don't look like, you don't feel good. And she's like, yeah, I don't feel well. I need to go to my room. And he's like, well, come here. Let me see you. And so she like walked up to him and he like felt her head and was like, yeah, you, you feel kind of hot. Go lay down. I'll come check on you later. See if you have a fever. And so she like tried to very seemingly calmly walk into her room and as she's going up the stairs she hears her dad say to her mom like Mona is everything all right yeah is there something that you want to tell me 
and then Ugh. it ends. And that, I was like, oh, that was probably one of the creepiest parts of the book. Absolutely. But Chloe's going through all this. She's going through all these memories. She's meeting up with Aaron. And meanwhile, Daniel's calling her, trying to figure out what's going on. She won't talk to him because she said she's too emotionally exhausted, which I get. But then also she calls Aaron. Yeah. And, and so I'm like, this is... They had a lot of red flags in their relationship. Yeah. Which we'll discuss as we go on. Um, because they'd been dating a matter of months and were trying to get yeah, married. Yeah, perhaps that was why. Chloe's avoiding Daniel, but she is calling Aaron and, like, wanting to talk to him again now. Because she thinks that there is some validity to what he was saying about a copycat. And when she goes for the second meeting, Aaron's kind of weird. And he's, like, show basically shows a photo of the search party and he's like is this you he points out a girl of in this picture and he's like why didn't you tell me that you were there because I was there too and so he kind of catches her in the lie of not knowing anything about Aubrey from being in the search party and she's like well I just felt awkward about it this is one time thing like I promise you can trust me um and so Chloe is telling Aaron about seeing Lacey's body and what happened. He She kind of tells him about the jewelry and how that's a link to the case and something that not everyone would know. Like the public didn't know about that. Right. So she said, this is so specific. It has to be kind of an inside job. Right. Only her family, the police officers and the victim's families knew that the missing jewelry was kind of like. And Daniel. And Daniel. She told Daniel. And Daniel, that's true. Yeah, she literally, like, names out these people of who would know. Um, Yes. And And so, oh, she, this kind of jogs her memory that there was something weird about Lena's father, Bert, and how, just how much he hated her dad, which obviously her dad murdered his daughter. So, yes, there would be hatred. But it was, like, extra. Like, he would show up at their house cause scenes he would throw rocks he would scare the kids while they were in there he would like shout at them in public all types of different things and so Aaron is like well this makes sense because copycat killers either revere or revile their like subjects either they have a really great respect for them and they want to be like them or Mm -hmm. they hate them so much that they want to do that and so Chloe thinks, okay, maybe Bert hated my dad so much that now he is, like, turned into him. Like, it's consumed him so much. And she starts to do some research on Bert. Which yes. she's sitting there Googling, which, you know, obviously I would be too. Absolutely. And she sees, you know, he's been to jail some. Um, he got a divorce after Lena was never found. And now he runs a security company based in Baton Rouge, which he then moved from the small town that they were all from to Baton Rouge, which she thought was suspicious. And now it's all happening again. And while she's researching, Daniel comes in and asks what she's up to, but she doesn't want to explain it. So she kind of like pushes away. He's like, oh, nothing, you know, wedding stuff, what's going on with you? And then he's like acting all casual and chatting with her, but then he like grabs her wrists. And, like, pins them behind her and then reaches for the laptop, which was huge red flag. Yeah. Because he, and then, like, grabbed the laptop to see what she was looking up while, like, still holding her hands pinned behind her. 
Yeah. There were some red flags with them, like, like little interactions like yeah. that that just set yeah. Chloe on edge, so then put us, the reader, on edge. Yeah. So, yeah. Daniel sees that she's looking into security systems. He doesn't think it's that Bert himself, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm just so scared of everything that's going on. I've been thinking about this. So, he leaves for yet another conference, mm-hmm. and... Chloe gets a knock at the door and she thinks it's Daniel coming back because he forgot something, but she opens and it's Burt Rhodes and she's terrified. She's like, how does he know? How does he know where I live? What happened here? And kind of gets the shock of her life. So, and that was kind of like a hair raising moment. I don't know. The suspense of that was really good in the book. Yeah. But she's like, what the heck? So Burt, opens the door and plays it off like Chloe doesn't think that he recognizes her so she's right. like playing it off like she doesn't know him and Bert's like yeah I got a call at this at for this address from a guy that wants me to install a security camp a security system I'm looking for Daniel Briggs and she's like well I'm his fiance and he said okay I just got a call from him that they want to install this security alarm so it's supposed to be this like sweet thing where Daniel has like is squashing her fears by getting the security alarm mm-hmm. installed for her, but it gave me the ick because I'm like communicate with your partner. I think it would have been cute if he would have done it and then been like, "Oh, hey babe, by the way, I called that company. Someone's gonna come install a security right. for you." Not rather just, than just not, yeah, yes, rather than her. nothing, and then they just show up. And yeah. so now Chloe is super anxious because obviously this guy's in the room with her. He's going through the motions of setting up her security alarm. So she's like, one, what if he does it wrong? On purpose. On purpose. Yeah. And now he knows, like, all my codes. He knows all the access points. Like, huge red flag. I totally get that as someone yes. who, like, lives alone. That stresses me out. Yeah. And she's playing it off like he – they don't know each other or whatever. And she has to sign some work order and she signs a fake name. Um, but it all comes to a head when Bert basically just looks at her – well, she starts asking him questions, like, how long yeah. have you worked here? Do you live here? She's trying to... Trying to be nosy. Yeah. And he finally is just like, Chloe, do you really think I don't know who you are? Oh, yeah. Oh. And I thought this... Chills. I thought shit was going to get real. Yes. <laughs> At this point, I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Because he's angry. He's still very angry. And he's like, how stupid do you think I am? Obviously, I know who you are. I would never forget the family that did this to me like your family is the reason that my life is ruined that's why i'm living here um but he's like angry at chloe specifically because he's like why it's not fair that you are living this successful life when my daughter was taken away from me yeah i'm here working for you installing something while my daughter lays dead and she tried to be like you think i'm okay this is what I've been dealing with all these years. And she thinks he's talking. She thinks that she's talking him down. And eventually he says something like, did you ever imagine what it was like? And she's like, what it was like to be strangled and like to t- every day. Like mm-hmm. I thought about Lena every day. And he said, no, what it was like to take a life. Which is really creepy. Really creepy. And then this is somehow he just leaves. Yeah. And he leaves it at that, but Chloe decides it's finally time to bring all of this evidence to the police and get their attention on Bert. Which, this was, like, the most normal thing to me. Finally, I was like, okay, she's... Because I feel like this whole time she's playing citizen detective. 
Yeah. And I'm like, first of all, there's a whole legal system that we have to go through. And, like, cops can't just take your word for it. They have to do the investigation. Like, you should have just turned it over to them at the first instance you knew something was up. Mm -hmm. And let them go through their due process. But finally she agreed. Like, she decides to call the cops. um, Detective Thomas, the one that she had been talking to. And... She tells him about the, her connection, like who her dad is, which she hadn't known, which kind of is crazy to me because I feel like this was a n- notorious case, mm-hmm. especially in like their home state. Um, but she tells him the theory about the copycat killer and like the missing jewelry and um, how she's starting to suspect Bert because of, you know, the way he was to their family, the way he was just now. And... Um, the detective is skeptical, but he agrees to, like, look into it. Obviously, he has to. Um, but she kind of leaves feeling like she's now put the suspicion on herself, which I would agree because you kind of sound yeah. crazy if you come in, like... Knowing all this and hiding it from them. And, and you just seem like an unreliable that... person. Like, you yeah. had so many... This is her third, what, third interaction with the detective. She had yeah. so many chances to say different things. Yeah. Um. So she goes home. Her brother Cooper shows up, and she's telling him all about her new security system. And she takes his Annie. She takes another Zanny. You know, she mentions Daniel's away on another work trip. So Cooper jumps at the chance to be like, "Well, maybe you should find somebody who's around more." And you know, they kind of fight over that. And Cooper is noticing all the open bot uh, pill bottles around the kitchen. And, you know, maybe it's not good for her to be with Daniel because he thinks that Daniel's, like, helping her supply of pills. So, Which is an interesting angle. Yeah. And I thought, I don't know. I was, like, kind of interesting that you don't blame the person who's taking the pills. Like, you try right. to push the blame on someone else. But he's just, I think, well, looking for yeah. any reason to not like Daniel. Yeah. So they get into a big knockdown, kind of drag out fight, and Cooper's finally like, you know what, like, if you're not going to believe me, if you don't believe I want what is best for you, then, like, maybe I shouldn't come around for a while, and he leaves his spare key and, you know, leaves her house. So she takes another pill, she drinks some wine with that pill, and eventually goes to bed, and is then suddenly awoken by the sound of her new alarm going off in the middle of the night, and... This gives me chills just thinking yeah, about it and I, gave this, me chills. I hate and, it. I hate thinking about this. Yes. But yeah, it was a very stressful moment because, in the book for me. Yeah. Imagine like I'm just like imagine that happening and she can hear somebody walking around yeah. downstairs. I have a home alarm. Yeah. And the thought of that happening in the middle of the night. Even like I have a motion like, camera out right front. Now. Yeah. And it has gone off in the middle of the night before. And I'm like, this is it. I am dying. It's just because a deer walked through yeah. my front yard or like a stray cat or whatever. But still, just that sound at no. 2 a.m. is like terror. No. Absolute terror. No, thank you. So that is the exact, you know, feeling that Chloe experiences. And she knows that Daniel keeps a gun in a gun box in the closet. And she runs for it to find it. But instead, she's like, it's dark. She's She's, like rifling through all these boxes. She's trying to find it. She thinks she finds what she thinks is the gun box and reaches inside, 
and finds the necklace that Aubrey was wearing on her missing poster. And this was, this threw me out of the moment. Yeah. Because I was like, how do you confuse a necklace jewelry box? Like, she described it as long, slender box. Yeah. And she's like, I think the size of a gun. So I'm thinking, okay, a long and slender gun is like a shotgun. Yeah. Large. And she's like, no, it's a jewelry box. Like, a net. she opens it, it's a necklace box. And I'm like, what gun do you think fits inside a necklace box? I get that. But also in the terror of the moment, I don't know. I can't say I would not, like, just be pulling open every box looking for the gun. Like, the lights weren't on. I would just be opening every box and sticking my hand and be like, where is it? I know. I just thought, it just, like, one made me chuckle and two just, like, what? How do you confuse a necklace jewelry box with a gun box? But whatever. It was dark. It was the middle of the night. I'll give her that. So obviously now she is like freaking out because she knows. Yeah. I will say Stacey Willingham is really good at this where she like makes this big reveal Mm -hmm. and then you go to the next chapter and it's not immediately resolved. Yes. It's like a flashback. So you're just like, what is happening? Or like, It'll be this big reveal, and then it'll be a very calm resolution. But yeah, now she's freaking out because of what she found, Aubrey's necklace, in her fiancé's, like, side of the closet. And so, she realized, like, I think, well, I guess Daniel comes up the stairs. It turns out that the alarm is going off because it was Daniel that set it off. Like, he got, she didn't think he was coming home, but he got home early from his business trip and set the alarm off. Because she never gave him the code. And I'm also like, are, do you people communicate at all? No, like, they do not. <laughs> you share a home. You got this joint alarm system. Why is the first thought in your mind not, oh, maybe I should text my fiance the alarm code? Yes. Either way. So now she's like super on edge because she's just found this piece of evidence in his closet. He's here with her. She doesn't want to like set off any alarms with him because now Mm -hmm. she's fearing for her safety that her fiance might be the one killing these girls um so they kind of go to bed as normal as possible like she tries to play it cool but she can't really sleep that whole night and so the next morning chloe wakes up and she's like i'm gonna go like I need to see it again. Make sure that what I was seeing was what I was seeing. But she cannot find the jewelry box in the closet. And she kind of woke up in the middle of the night or early in the morning and saw Daniel over by the closet. Yeah. And so when she wakes up, she goes to look for the box and can't find it. So now she's like, okay, he's moved it. He's trying to hide the evidence. Um, And then she remembers that Lacey was drugged the second victim and like we mentioned before daniel is a pharmaceutical rep so he has easy access to drugs like he carries samples around in his briefcase all kinds of things she was drugged with diazepam which daniel has like specific ties to yeah so while she's troubling over this she gets a call from the care facility that her mother is at saying that her mother's not doing well and that she needs to get there as quickly as possible so she runs out the door daniel insists on going with her which She hasn't met Daniel's family. Daniel has only met Cooper. He's never met her mom, which, again, red flag. Why are you getting married? But they meet with a doctor that says, you know, her mother is on a hunger strike, and sometimes they see this right before somebody Mm 
is about to die. You know, maybe she's doing this hunger strike because she's ready to die. But she asks for a moment alone with her mother. And she's always kind of suspected that her mother can communicate with her. Because when she's holding her hand sometimes and she'll ask her a question, her mom will, like, tap her hand Mm -hmm. and like, a yes or no gesture. So when everyone leaves the room, she looks over and her mother's looking at her. So she thinks that her mother was doing this in order to get her to come back after everything she told her about the missing girls. So she goes and gets some Scrabble tiles and is like, we're going to do this. And like, when I point to a letter, I'm going to ask you a question. And when I point to Y, it's yes and it's no and like tap me. So they go through like this. I just want to say like. I know it was with Scrabble tiles, but I, reading this, was picturing a Ouija board. A Ouija board, yeah. 100%. <laughs> like, move it to yes. spell it like, out for me, yes. and it cracked yeah. me up. That's 100% what I pictured, too. So, they kind of, like, get this little Morse code going, and she asks if she thinks that the new disappearances and murders are linked to the old ones, and her mother says yes, and then she asks, how does she prove it? And so her mother starts to spell out a word with Chloe pointing, and they only get to the first two letters before they're interrupted, but the first two letters are D and A, which Chloe immediately jumps to Daniel because she's already suspecting him, but I first suspected Dad. Same. Well, and I was like, this is a cliffhanger, but I'm like, I caught you because, yeah, she never gets to finish it, so I think... Yeah, you want to be led to think Daniel, but I agree. I thought Dad. I thought like, Dad need to immediately. Go talk to him. So she has to leave. They see that her mother's awake. The doctor comes in and everyone leaves. So Daniel had like planned a surprise for that day and was like, your mother's okay. Let's go on this original surprise. So she thinks that he's like taking her out into the woods to kill her. But turns out he just had this little kayaking mm-hmm. date planned. And it turns out that they kayaked to see a view of their wedding venue. And that's when Chloe has the, you know, realization that's where she met Aubrey before. So that now is just cementing her to being another, like, tie between these two victims. Like, at first, they, the two victims were not technically related or connected in any way. But now, like, Chloe realizes that she herself is the connection. Yeah. Um, So, Chloe... Goes to work the next morning, and she's, you know, very unsure if she trusts Daniel Daniel or not, and needs to, comes to the conclusion that she needs to do some snooping of her own, which, like you said, citizen detective over here. But she quickly formulates a plan and tells Daniel that she's planning on having a bachelorette party with some friends over the weekend. And he's all excited because she had refused to do this before, but all of a sudden she's changed her mind. And, but she doesn't do, like, a good cover-up story because no. she, like, doesn't tell any of her friends about this. She and, uses them as the alibi but does not say, but I'm no, using you as the alibi. Yeah. So Which, then they if I needed out. to use you as an alibi, I would text you and be like, if yeah. my fiancé texts you and asks you this, yes, you are here with me. And I would absolutely cover for you, no questions asked at the time. I mean, I'd I was like, like, you ask me questions no, later. No, <laughs> later. But I'd be like, yes, absolutely. And then I'd be like, we're going to talk about this. Yes. But it's like, I, I can't, answers. I can't lie for you if I don't know that I'm supposed to because, like, I'm naturally an honest person. Yeah. So you have to like pre-warn people if you need them to cover for you. Um, but she is 
kind of super extra suspicious of Daniel because she had asked Melissa, her assistant, who was at the party, like, when did he get here? Because the night of the party was the night that Lacey went missing. So she's like, there's a small window from, like, when I left the office and I hadn't seen her or anything to when I got home is, like, basically when this would have happened. And her assistant says, well, Daniel was one of the last ones. Like, he got there right before you did. And so that's a super red flag. Um, So Chloe kind of plans this whole fake trip to New Orleans for her bachelorette party. Um, She's got a backpack. She's told Daniel what her plans are. She's going to leave work early, rescheduled all her plans. And then right before she is getting ready to leave, um, the detective stops by and says that Bert Rhodes, Lena's dad, has taken a restraining order out against Chloe. And she's like, what the heck? He was the one being threatening to me. Yeah. And Bert has said that Chloe kind of like drew him to the house and was trying to make a ruckus, trying to cause trouble for him. And then the detective says, well, you know, this has happened to you before, hasn't it? There's, you know, they're kind of suspicious of her. And he's like, why don't you tell me about that? And she's, Obviously knows what he's talking about. And this had kind of been hinted at before of, like, there being an instance of her in college. But this is where we get the real scoop of it. So, Chloe's college boyfriend, Ethan Walker, was the other person who had a restraining order out on her. So, we find out that she had dated Ethan for eight months in college, which was her longest relationship and probably still longer than the one she has with Daniel currently. But they met in a party, um, they were together for a summer, and she had finally learned to trust this person. But toward the end of their relationship, her college roommate, Sarah, had gone missing. And Chloe was very nervous for Sarah's safety, you know, just normally, but also with her past. And every time she mentioned it to Ethan, he became, like, very flustered and was like, well, don't ask about it. I'm sure she's fine. Mm -hmm. And so, Chloe being Chloe, she starts to suspect that Ethan did something to Sarah. But it turns out Ethan and Sarah were cheating together on Chloe. And her disappearance was her hiding out at Ethan's apartment the whole weekend. the whole time. So... She went on this, you know, big thing. She accused Ethan of all this, and it turns out that they were cheating together on her, Mm -hmm. and Ethan took out a restraining order. So this makes Chloe even more unreliable that she called somebody else out previously for murder and, you know, kidnapping somebody, and it turned out not to be true. Yeah. So the detective obviously knows this whole backstory, and he's like, well, this is a red flag, but now this is seeming to happen again. And he's like, we also know that you have abused prescription drugs in the past. Like, I hope you're not doing that again. Um, And then he also says, oh, and by the way, we know you were at the cemetery helping to look for Aubrey. And that's a really big red flag. And he's like. And that's how the other detective. Yeah. He was like, the other detective recognized you the very first time. And that's why we asked you about it. And then you lied. Mm -hmm. So. I was like, dang, Chloe, this is why you don't do that. Um, Then Chloe leaves on her fake bachelorette party to New Orleans, which is really about, she goes to, like, this old, gross, like, roadside motel, checks in, and texts this person, I'm here, come to room, whatever, opens the door, and it's Aaron from the New York Times. And it turns out they're going to do some investigating, because she tells them, all she told them was that she had a lead, 
And she didn't say how she knew or where she got the information. But they go to the home of Diane Briggs, who is Daniel's mother, to ask her questions about the disappearance of her daughter, Sophie. Which she disappeared the same year, or around the same time as the other girls. It was further away, but around the same time. So Chloe now, being on that track that... Daniel is the one doing this. Could he have been the person who did it all those years ago? Because there was another girl unrelated to the six that disappeared. Right. (laughs) We're just going to have to let this go. (laughs) Sebastian is adding his uh, chorus in too. So she, Chloe is talking with Diane and comes under the pretenses that she and Aaron are both reporters. They're here to like look into the case and they just want to hear about it, which Diane does not know her. Because they've never met each other's families. Again, red flag, which we've said. So she, Diane kind of tells the whole story, talks about Chloe, talks about her family, um, her husband Earl is abusive, her son that she is no longer in contact with, but he has a temper, and how how she suspects that her son may have had something to do with her daughter's disappearance. And so this is kind of like... This is, I think, what Chloe came to find. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. She wanted more evidence against him. Um, so they, she, Diane, lets them go up into the rooms to see if there's anything that they can find. And Chloe goes into Daniel's room. She's kind of looking at his bookshelf or whatever. And she finds a stack of clippings about her father's murders. And she's in like, the book. In the same book. Yeah. The copy of the book. The Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil that he had, like, they had connected about. Yeah. She sees it Which on was bookshelf. very creepy. That yeah, was creepy. But I, I loved it a little tie-in. Yeah. But also, like, that is bone-chilling to find all of those yeah. newsletters. Because and... he claimed when Chloe told him that he had not known. Yes. So, like, that's a huge lie. Yeah. And huge so... display of abuse of trust. Yeah. Um, so, so they're about to leave. And... You know, she thinks Diane for giving them her time and letting them have a look around when Diane sees the ring on her finger, which is her engagement ring. And she's like kind of grabs her wrist and is Mm -hmm. like, where did you get that? Where did you get my daughter's ring? And it turns out that it was Sophie's ring. It had been in their family for generations. And Daniel gave it to her when they were engaged. And can I just tell you the ick that this gave me? Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, no. And so they kind of like storm out of the house because Diane is freaking out and Chloe doesn't want to say where she got it. She's just like, you have to know something. Like she, and I felt so bad for her in this moment. The trauma of that. Like Chloe is, I don't know. Not only hurting other up, people in all of yeah, her Yeah, not only to bring up those memories, but to, like, for her to see that and be like, she knows something about my daughter, and then she just runs away. Yeah. Yeah. So they literally, like, literally run away, jump in the car, and Aaron is mad because he feels like he's been set up. He had no idea what they were going to. Um, Chloe ends up, like, taking the ring off and throwing it in the floorboard because she's freaked out about it. So she's like, okay, I'm going to come clean about why we're on this trip. I'm suspecting my fiancé, Daniel. 
Um, she talks about how he had the access to drugs. He kept receipts from where he'd been. They didn't match up with the work trips that he supposedly was on. Yeah. There was some from um, the town near the Louisiana State Penitentiary. She's like, maybe he's been visiting my dad. Yeah. Um, Getting ideas so, from him. Yeah. She kind of spills her whole guts about why she went on this trip, how she suspects her fiance and... This was a weird moment for me, but they're this like was so weird talking about like it back and, at the hotel room at this point, and yeah. she's like going over this, and she's like, "Finally, somebody believes me," because Aaron's not like, "You're crazy." He's like, "This is actually adding up," and so she's like, "Finally, somebody believes me," and so they like bond over this and end up sleeping together, yeah. which just. I don't know. Yeah. It was just weird. Like, no, thank you. Yeah, it was a weird interaction, and so. Um, she tells him that she thinks she's going to, thinking about going to see her dad who she hasn't seen. And then she's like so worked up she can't sleep. So Aaron offers her, he's like, well, here, you've got these in your bag. Like, let me give you some. And so, yeah, for sure. Red Red flag. flag. So she goes to sleep, whatever. And then she, when she wakes up, Aaron is gone and she looks at the clock, and it has been, like, a full 24 hours. It's not the next morning. It's, like, yeah. the morning after the next morning. She has so many missed calls. Daniel yes. has called her. The two people that were supposed to be on the trip with her have called her. So yeah. she's, like, the rig is up, you know? Yeah. And so she gets some messages. One that sticks out is from her friend, Shannon, who is, like, one of her best work friends. She had been at the going away – or the not – the going away party, the <laughs> engagement party. And so she calls her back and Shannon is just like crying on the phone, freaking out. And she says, Riley is missing. And Riley is Shannon's daughter. And so now it's the added pressure of another connection. And she's worried about Riley being the next victim. Yeah. So Chloe like rushes home. She agrees to go help search for Riley. And, um, but like, she also has a voicemail from Daniel, who he's like, I know you're not at a bachelorette party. I don't know what's going on. You're going through some stuff, and it's clear that you don't want me to help you through it. So he's like, I'm going to clear my stuff out. I'll be gone by tomorrow morning, and that he loves her. Yeah. And so by the time she got this message, she was like, okay, I think he'll already be out because mm-hmm. she had slept so late. So um, she's starting to, like... Now she's so worried about Riley. She's like, I need to figure out where he would have taken her and what the deal is. And so... But she watched footage on her phone from the security system and sees Daniel, like, in the living room, you know, not 30 minutes before... And, like, packing up his stuff. packing up his stuff. He's kind of looking around, like, taking one last look. And then he pulls something out of his pocket. And when she paused and zoomed in, it's Aubrey's necklace. Yeah. And so it had been missing, and now she knows that he had taken it back. So now, like you said, she's trying to figure out. She's, like, certain that he's the one that's done it, and she's trying to figure out where he could have possibly taken Riley and, like, if we can find her before he kills her. Um, So she realizes, like, one place that no one has looked yet and where that makes sense would be back in her hometown because he knows – that they still own, her family still owns the house that she grew up in, but it's kind of abandoned. No one lives there. No one would think to check there. It's got the connection to her dad and her case, like everything else. Um, 
so Chloe drives back there for the first time in forever and she goes into the house and she finds Riley like finds her body laying on the floor and you think oh my gosh she's too late but when she goes to check on her it turns out that she is not dead she's just been drugged and so she's like okay I'm gonna get you out we're gonna go for it and then she's down on the ground checking on Riley and you hear someone say her name and you're like oh shit here it goes I was like girl why are you not bringing reinforcements yes absolutely so it, it, and you're like, is it Daniel? Who is it? Yeah, who's there? And so she turns around and she's surprised to see that it's Aaron, the reporter. And she's like, how did you know to come here? And he's like, well, you told me about this house. It just seems like a logical place. And so she's like, okay, great. Now you need to help me. But then she's like, wait you shouldn't know that Riley's missing. Because he makes a comment of, like, I just wanted to see, like, I wondered if he brought Riley here. And she's like, okay, great. But you don't know Riley's missing. Like, the police at that point, I don't think, had even been called. It wasn't on the news or anything. This was kind of an inside thing until they figured it out. So she's like, red flag, how do you know? Um, Also, why did he just leave her for a full 24 hours? Yeah. Like, where did he go in that time? It's strange. And so she can see that he has his press badge on. Um, so she's kind of looking, or she has it because he had left it in the room. She's like got it in her pocket. So she pulls it out and is looking at it and she's like, this is definitely fake. Um, and so she's like, who are you really? And she's starting to get freaked out. And he's like, I can explain, you know, I didn't want it to turn out like this. Everything's going to be fine. He's kind of advancing on her and she shoots him. Yeah, when she went home, I think she grabbed the actual gun box, Yeah, (laughs) not the necklace, and she brought it with her, which I guess was, like, the one smart thing she's done, and as he's, like you said, as he's advancing on her, she shoots him. Yeah. And then the next chapter jumps straight to the interrogation room with Detective Thomas and Officer Doyle and one of the Brobridge um, police officers, and she has to recount the story. She says you know, tells how she met this Aaron Jansen person and everything um, that went on between them. And then she starts to talk about her suspicions about Daniel. But then Detective Thomas tells her that Aaron is really Tyler Price. And he's a high school dropout from her hometown. And, you know, Tyler had been in the cemetery with Aubrey's search party. And they had found various, you know pieces of jewelry on him Mm -hmm. they also tell her that riley is alive and he agrees to check on daniel because he's like i don't know like she came this far so i guess we should look into this but tyler price was one of the people that would like come to the house like terrorize the house yeah like afterwards and she remembers him much younger but you know running outside like who are you he what had been peeping in their windows. And yeah. Like, yeah. But being, not being. in, like, an aggressive way. More of, like, a weird fascination. Yes. So that is how she knew Tyler Price. But... And so she kind of leaves the scene with the detective and is like, they're like, you're not in trouble. Like, you did the right thing. We saved Riley. This guy was a creeper. He's crazy. And so she goes home and... She is just going about her day as normal. She goes upstairs, like, runs a bath to relax, Mm -hmm. just kind of chilling out. And then she gets out of the bath 
and is hanging out at home and Daniel is there, like reveals himself to be there, which yeah. this is what I text you. I'm like, who just walks in their home after this and doesn't check every single room? Yeah. Because he had never left. He yeah. She realized that she saw him on the camera packing up, but he never had left. Um, and so Chloe accuses him of killing his sister. Like she knows that he didn't kill the other girls at this point because they've caught Tyler, but she accuses him of killing But she's not Sophie. letting it go. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I didn't kill her. I can tell you the whole story. And so Daniel explains how their dad was abusive to both of them. And he had gone after Daniel for a long time until he finally got tired of that and started going after Sophie. And that's when Daniel resolved to help get his sister to safety. And so he and his sister together faked her disappearance and he basically like helped move her into a new city, a new town, get her set up for life. Um, they tried to fake it as one of the bro bridge cases. Like that's why he had those articles in his mm-hmm. room because he was trying to find information and he, they thought this is the right chance. Like we can just work this in. People will assume that your dad did it. They'll never find the body cause they never found those and they go for it. Um, but then she asks, like, okay, that's all fine and dandy, but so why have you been visiting my father at the state penitentiary? Yeah. So he said after everything that she had told him about the murders, he started looking into things because he felt like Chloe's dad was not the actual killer. Mm-hmm. And so he had to go visit him in prison to figure out the truth. And so they kind of, like ways here and this is one thing which i'll say like i feel like daniel handles this all pretty well <laughs> yeah a suspected killer and it yeah. reminded me of the it girl when yes like the ending because when they she's were also yeah. was, like, accusing her husband of murdering their but then they just go but along with life is normal versus here daniel's like no you're clearly going through some stuff yeah. like i'm gonna take a step back so yeah good for you we kind of like, like i don't like you but yeah we kind of had boundaries flip forward um and cooper her brother comes by daniel's left and chloe confronts him of like did you know this tyler kid he's from our hometown he's your same age um and She's like, I know that you've been trying to push me away from Daniel, and it wasn't, you know, because of all of your biases. And it comes out, like, after Chloe has talked to Daniel and kind of heard some of his information, she's starting to also have doubts about her dad being the real killer. Yeah, and this is one thing the author, Stacey Willingham, does really well, is we say she, like, ends on a cliffhanger, Mm -hmm. which she does. But then you don't find out the truth immediately. You find out the truth in a roundabout way yes. through another event that happens. Yes. And I, re- I really like that. And she weaves things into conversations so naturally that, yes. like, you're reading this interaction between Cooper and Chloe. And I was feeling anxious because yes. my original suspicion that I texted you from day, the very first thing I texted you was, like, here's my theory. I thought either Chloe or Cooper Mm -hmm. had been the one to murder all of those girls and their Mm -hmm. dad was the one that took the fall for it. Because, like, Chloe gave me... too easily. Yeah. Yeah. Chloe gave me bad vibes and so did Cooper at that. Like, I just couldn't figure out Cooper. 
And so now I'm like, okay, well, Daniel didn't do the original, like, Daniel didn't do these murders. We know who did those. But now he thinks that her dad didn't. And so she's having this conversation with Cooper, trying yeah. to be calm about it. She's so calm about it. She's so calm. And he start, she starts asking questions, and he's like, oh, I wish you would stop taking these pills. Because mm-hmm. she put, she left, like, an empty pill bottle on the counter. And he's like, oh, my God, like, did you take all of these? And he's trying to deny that he knew Tyler. Very, he's like, I, yeah, I knew him, but, it, like, we weren't friends or close or anything. And she's like, you knew him, mm-hmm. Cooper. Because he got in to our mother's care facility and they told me we don't let anybody in who isn't authorized. So somebody had to authorize him and it wasn't me. It was you. And she's like, you knew everybody. You were friends with Mm -hmm. everybody. But you recognized that you were the popular, like, cool kid and he was like the loner kid. Who would do anything to be recognized. Yeah. And so you specifically sought him out. And she realizes that Cooper had set Tyler up to do all of this. Mm-hmm. And try to frame Daniel for it. Yeah. So that it would break Daniel and Chloe up. Because he yeah. hated Daniel that much. And this is where she's like. I mean she knew that he did that. Because how else would Tyler have known about the jewelry thing. Yeah. Um, and so finally. Like, Cooper admits that, yes, he had planted this jewelry in her house to make it frame Daniel or whatever. And then she's like, well, this isn't the only thing that you've done. And accuses him of being the one to murder all of the girls from before. And then this is when Cooper's like, well, yeah, you're right. Like, you caught me. Yeah. I was the one that did it. I had found, he's like, Dad found the jewelry from all of those girls hidden in my closet or hidden in the floorboards, which Chloe had found Playboys hidden in there he was before. Over the creepiest part, because he he admits that all later, but whenever she like finally accuses of him, that's when he says, "I don't know what to tell you, Chloe. I have a darkness inside of me, a darkness that comes out at night, and repeats the verbatim what." Their father said in court when they asked, why did you kill those girls? And their father, in his confession in court, repeated what Cooper said to him. Yeah. That, that, that point was creepy. That was creepy. And then she went on, she was so calm and when he finally admitted it. And that's yeah. when she went on and was like, the jewelry, dad found it, was under yours, under the Well, and she realizes the figure that she thought she saw coming out of the woods was actually her brother. And she's like... You yeah, know, he was almost a grown man at that point. Yeah. Um. And so at this point, she had like, they have this whole conversation, and I'm like, please tell me she's wearing a secret wire, like getting this. Yeah. For the police, um, but she's like, okay, you need to go to the police. Like, let's just come clean with all of this. Dad's took the fall for this. There's no need. And so Cooper's, like, trying to advance on her, but then he basically kind of just, like, falls yeah, to the ground. Yeah, because she's like, I because, have to call the police, and he's like, yeah. then I'm going to leave. And, yeah, he, like, falls to the ground. Yeah, because she had drugged his drink with some of the pills. Yeah. So I thought that was genius. Very. Um, and then now she obviously calls the police and turns Because they've been in. recording and watching via her the camera. security system. Yeah. So she kind of coaxed him into the confession, which I love. Yes, I thought that was brilliant. Um, so then it flashes forward 
for real this time. Um, <laughs> Not a couple, just a day. <laughs> yeah. And it is July 23rd, which is what should have been Daniel and Chloe's wedding day. Um, Cooper is in jail. Her dad is getting exonerated. Her dad apologized. Like, she still hasn't interacted with him, which I kind of needed, like, that. And I, needed I was hoping we would get that, but we didn't. Yeah. But she sees him on television, and he apologizes for taking the fall for it. He's like, I was just trying to protect my kid like any other parent would. And so she and Daniel are not together at this point, but she just feels this pull to go visit his sister and, like, see if that was real. So she basically, like, shows up at her sister's house and... Is like you should have this ring back. It's kind of like the closure she needed. Yes. Because realistically, she and Daniel do not stay together. Yeah. You cannot get past Which a that's where accusation. I'm, yeah, that's where I was drawing it back to yeah, the girl. To because the it's girl. like that couple just brushed should not off have worked. the rug. Yes. But in this one, it's like, yeah, you're yeah. not going to work out if you're so yeah. amped up that you think your fiance is a murderer. Yeah. Um, so she kind of gets that closure. That, you know, she sees one girl who supposedly went missing. Well, she did go missing and was, you know, thought dead. Is here alive and happy. And I think it provides her some closure. And that's where it ends. You know, she's trying to figure out where she goes now with her life. But the murders have now been, you know. Yeah. It's all come full circle. Yeah. Um, And I I really liked it. Like I said, the only thing I needed was a scene of her like something with her dad like reconciling with her dad or meeting yeah, with him that would have been nice you know I with any first book there are gonna be some things that could have been cleaned up there are some loose ends there were some things that weren't explained to the fullest but I really liked it and I'm I will read her next book that she oh, puts for out sure. I'm excited to see what she comes up with because I think it can only become more polished yeah. from here and i hope it's another thriller like i feel yeah. like she really did well she's in really that good genre, she's so. really good and this is a a different completely different spooky season read than our last one um but i really liked it i think you should add it to your october to be read list absolutely and i could see it it would be good as a show, too, or a movie. Like, I, I could think see it's it translated to be, well. We say that every time. But when I was looking on the bibliophile, actually, since we have it pulled up, one of the articles for A Flicker in the Dark is, you know, the HBO rumored oh, adaptation. I hope so. Yeah. That would be perfect. So, so I would definitely tune in for that. Yes. I don't know how we always do this and make them really long when we don't this, think that they will be. I wondered if this one would be because there's it's so, much. so much. There's so much to unpack. And uh, I don't know. It's kind of fun being in the same room. Like, I feel like we yeah, feed off each other. I know. So the, di- like, the dialogue continues, obviously, when you're on, like, a recording and you can't see each other. Like, no one wants to talk as much. I don't know. Right. We still talk a lot on there, but... This was definitely more like a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was Too fun. bad we don't live close by yeah. to do this. We'll have to fly but... out here more. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe if you're home at Christmas, we can record yeah. again sometime. That would be fun. So, yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this. Let Props us Props if you stuck to the end of the hour and a half odd. Yeah. 
episode. Yeah. You are the true MVPs. Yeah, you're a real OG if you stuck through that. But hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, let us know if you have read this book and what your thoughts were on it. Let us know if you had the right theories or what your thoughts. You can follow along with us on Instagram at Life and Lit Pod. That's where we post a lot of our book content, the releases that we're going to be doing, all sorts of fun stuff there. Um, you can send us recommendations at lifeandlitpod at gmail.com. And as always, be sure to subscribe to us on whatever podcast source you listen to and please leave us a review and a rating because that really helps us get our name out there and we are going to be back next week with another thriller spooky season book Mm. i think this has been really fun doing this kind of like creepy vibes but also this one's good yeah it like the next one's good yeah i love it because i love this kind of book but then i also freak myself out with it oh yeah yeah no it's good that we're in the same room here (laughs) yes absolutely so until next time happy reading happy reading